All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. We are joined on this episode by Jordan and Catherine Short, who have been on, is it three or four times before, guys? Oh, so many times. Yeah, I think it's more than that. I don't know. It's a lot. But Jordan <laughs> and Catherine, welcome back to Vernacular. Thank you for having us. Hi. We're excited to have you guys on to talk about The Crown Season 2. Now, I know we're a little bit behind the times in the sense that The Crown came out in December, but we've had you know, things happen that have prevented us from recording until now. And it's good, I think, anyway, to let this sort of sink Settle, in a little bit. And yeah. we, can, we can think about it. We talked about season one in November before season two came out. So if you want to listen to that before this one, go back and check out that episode in our feed. But we're going to talk about season two today. So I think there's a lot of differences between season two and season one. And one of the ones that Sally pointed out is how each of these episodes standalone a little bit more than in season one. Yeah, I think for me anyways, when I was, it felt like in some ways a different show because in season one, I felt like I was almost watching a movie because each episode just kind of followed on the next episode. But then in season two, because they cover so many more years of time and and each episode kind of has its own themes and its own angst and tension. It's not that general overall tension of the crown, you know, um, which we talked about as being a, what, I think a silent main character, as Jordan put it last time. Um, so anyways, yeah, I felt as though this season, each episode in a way, I mean, there were definitely ties between episodes, but in a way, many of them stood alone. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, no, that was um, definitely something that we thought about as well. Um, yeah, Catherine, you, you you mentioned it kind of first when we were discussing this. Yeah, and it's – you don't really have to binge it either. Like you kind of have to really sit in each episode because they are so different. Yes. That, and not in a bad way that it – you know, you don't want to watch the next episode, but I don't know. There's just something about it that just felt each one was its own thing to a certain extent. For and sure. to me, to me, when we were watching it in December for the first time, I like maybe the third or fourth episode in, I said to Catherine, I was like, this to me confirms my feelings about the main character of the show being the crown because it's not one person, Right. But it's all of these people dealing with the weight of this crown. Whereas in the first season, yes, it was definitely more focused on Elizabeth and there was more of a through line with her. But 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 to me, it confirmed that feeling that I had what like, no, it's everyone is dealing with the weight of this thing that's just omnipresent in everyone's life. Yeah, um, completely. One thing that Zach and I kept um, commenting on while watching it was how much the season is about Philip. I mean, there's obviously the whole Margaret stuff that's going on, but it seemed like it was just as much about Philip as it was about Elizabeth. I didn't really count up the minutes or the episodes, but it seemed like they were pretty comparable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were times where I, I wanted more Elizabeth. I could have, you know, yeah. maybe had a little less Philip at times because Claire Foy is just so amazing, amazing that yeah. I wanted to watch her. But then it almost made it like you were longing to see yeah. her. And so when she was on, <laughs> you were like, true. wow, you know, my is. queen. <laughs> yeah, my queen. A breath totally. of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the one other thing that I thought about season two was that um, I definitely felt less invested in the political drama of season two. And maybe that's just because like the Churchill drama is a lot more known, I guess, in my mind. I know less the history of England in the 50s and 60s. But I, yeah, I just kind of didn't care as much about what was going on politically, except as it, you know, directly impacted the crown and the queen. But um, I, I really didn't know about the Suez Canal. I'm sure I read about it in social studies or something at some point, but I um, I just, I cared less about what was happening with the prime minister. Right. Yeah, I agree. And also those weren't the pieces that I took away with me or remembered. Those weren't right. the scenes that I remembered. Right. Except for that one scene where um, the queen is talking to uh, – the guy, oh, I forget the prime minister's name, but the one who's like wheeled in on his little bed. And she basically just says, you are another in a line of weak men. And yes. and I, I'm just like disgusted by you, basically. She's asking him to stay in his position. And he's just like, no, I want to resign. I want to resign. And she's just like, you are just one in a line of weak men. And it's, yeah, it was so powerful. I loved that so much. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've had this thought in my head as you guys have been talking about the differences between season one and season two, and I'm I'm not sure if it's fully formed yet, but I'll take a stab at it. It seems to me that season one was about the the like the first level of the crown, the first level tension, and that tension is about the crown as it relates to the health of the state. Um, and I think that's why we're more wrapped up in the political tension there because, well, I think one, one reason is because you have Churchill, the greatest figure in British politics, perhaps ever, certainly the 20th century. And so yeah. that's, that's one reason. And he's, he's played very convincingly, um, by the, the actor. But I think the other reason is the central tension in there is what is best for the people of Britain. And that's the, that's what. Elizabeth keeps coming back to when there are these questions of how we deal with this uh, because of the crown. But in season two, we've sort of moved past that first level question, and we're now examining how the crown affects all of the personal relationships around the queen, because she has, at the end of the first season, fully assumed the mantle of the crown. I mean, the I think, Jordan, to your point, I would say the the crown in season two is no longer an antagonist. It's actually... Um, joined with the protagonist in Elizabeth, and she has fully assumed that mantle. So now season two is us watching the story or the ramifications of the crown as it affects all of the people in the first circle around right. Elizabeth. I completely yeah, no, agree. I agree. I would say one exception to that would be the Lord Alter. Altricum, Altricum, how yes. do you pronounce his name? Altricum, yeah. Yeah, the Marionettes episode where he, he confronts her and kind of says you need to change your approach and your style or your because you're not connecting with the people anymore so that was kind of a throwback to season one yeah definitely that's a good point right okay so we've kind of started talking about specific episodes so let's go around and talk about maybe not your favorite episode but if it's not your favorite then what was most fascinating to you and what episode do you really want to bring up to not let not let go without without a chat about it so who wants to go first (laughs) I'll, I'll go. All right. Um, so my favorite episode uh, was Barrel, which is episode four. And this one focuses more on Princess Margaret and her challenges of 
of finding love, I suppose, or the expectation that she has to. Is that the one where she um, receives word that what's-his-face from season one is remarrying? No, that happens a couple episodes later. Yeah, but this is sort of the aftermath of that, you know, her one true love. She can't be with him anymore. And she sort of falls into this um, relationship with a photographer. Yes. Tony. And um, I just love Princess Margaret. I love that character. And so I find her fascinating. Um, She's like devastatingly desperate as a character. Desperate to be seen and to be known. As she is, right? Because I love that photo session that she has where they want to make her seem like this fairy tale princess. And and she's just like, that's just not me. This is, you know, this is a, a farce. Well, and, you know, to your point, we were watching, we had that episode on earlier today, just as we were like doing things. And I remember looking up um, in that exact scene and Princess Margaret gives a look. She like the camera is on her and the the old guy, the old, you know, family photographer is taking her photos and she is like she's like full model mode. Right. And she's turning it on for the camera. And as soon as he pauses, she turns it off and has this look of disdain Mm. that is incredible. Like it just like it cuts me to the core. They're kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And as amazing so as Claire Foy is, I think it's possible that uh, Margaret, Kirby. yeah, Vanessa Kirby is is a better actor. I mean, nothing against Claire Foy; they're both incredible. But Vanessa Kirby is just amazing. She's powerful like in every fire. scene. Yeah, yeah, she just takes over. Well, and we were talking about not only Vanessa Kirby, but uh, the guy who plays Tony. And dang it, I'm blanking on Matthew Good. Matthew Good, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I first encountered Matthew Good as Finn in The Good Wife. Good wife. <laughs> his, he, was, his, he was a much better His Anthony character. Armstrong Jones is a bit more serious and uh, and better acted. Yeah, so Matthew Good is like so good. <laughs> no, no pun intended. <laughs> with Vanessa Kirby, and we were talking right before we got on the call with you that if you didn't know better and if you just watched their scenes – their star power is so great that you would think that this show would have to be about them yeah, exclusively. And it doesn't take away from anyone else who's amazing, of course. It's well, just, I, I, they're so dynamic. And I also think that's very appropriate, right? Because I think in real life, that's exactly how it was. It was right. Elizabeth always feeling outshone. So yeah. you know, it's Claire Foy being outshone by Vanessa Kirby and Kirby and Anthony Armstrong Jones being the bad boy that maybe Philip wants to be in, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really I good point. Totally agree. Yeah, that's also, uh, to piggyback off of Catherine, that's also my favorite episode. Um, and I and I love it for a variety of reasons. I love, you know, the Margaret and Tony stuff. But I also love kind of the, the backdrop where all of that Margaret and Tony stuff is happening. And the backdrop is, you know, um, the Queen and Philip are celebrating their 10-year wedding anniversary. Um, and there's like kind of complications below the surface of that, but yet they still love each other. You know, it's like a very endearing moment. And then the prime minister and his wife are having um, 
marital complications because she's in, in essence. Put it lightly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's like sleeping with someone else and he knows about it and everyone seems to, to know. Yeah. Um, and so it's like really, it's just one of the most beautiful episodes of television um, I've ever seen. Uh, and I know that's just my opinion, but I, I love it so much. So I think that's that's my my That's pick as pick. well. Yeah, our pick. It gets an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> and then I know um, off air, you mentioned you had a couple honorable mentions. So why don't you just say what those are? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure this will get talked about further. But um, I really, really loved um, the Vergenheit uh, episode, which had a lot of really – Vergagenheit, I think, is really what it is. Uh, you know, it had like Billy Graham in it and um, – The Nazis. The Nazis, right? The so Elizabeth's uncle basically was a Nazi sympathizer. Elizabeth's uncle was also the previous king of England, um, and like some of that stuff, I was just blown away with. Like I, I think I knew little things here and there, but in watching the episode, I couldn't believe it. And then I looked it up afterwards, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is all true." Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, I, we couldn't even exact wait till the end of the episode. We were like, "Is this for real?" And googling during the episode. Basically, when I'm watching The Crown, I always have my phone and Wikipedia pulled up <laughs> so I can be fact checking as we go. Yeah. So I love that episode, also. Yeah, that was great. What about you, Catherine? Anything else? On any other honorable mentions for episodes? Um. Yeah, I think the Paterfamilias. Um, which it happens a little later in the season and um, Charles is already, I don't know, like 10 or something maybe in the episode. Um, and then we're going back, we're kind of like flipping because he's about ready to go to a boarding school and then we learn more about Philip's upbringing. And I, it just, I mean, it's, it's devastating. It, I mean, he had a very tragic life, really. Um, Philip? Yes, yes, Philip did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just put a lot of things in context. And as just a piece of television or a cinema, cinema, I mean, you know, this is almost just as good as something you would see in theaters. It's just beautiful to watch, too. Right. Yeah. And that episode was cool because it like it was super great storytelling. But, you know, they, they took a little bit of liberties with history we we did some research afterwards and there was a couple minor things that were kind of like embellished or whatnot but man it was so riveting and i don't hold it against them (laughs) so i think what was historically accurate though is that philip did go to gordonston this school in scotland that had that prided itself it was school for boys and it prided itself on raising you know physically lively men who can do outdoor challenges and uh, run races and all these things. And, uh, Philip went there and it was while he was there that his sister was killed. And he was of course very close to his sister. I mean, she was, I think in many respects, a a mother figure to him because she was much older and his, his own mother was institutionalized. And so he obviously sends Charles, his son and Charles, uh, did not do well there. And which I mean, I was actually side note, but as we were watching this, I was thinking about poor Charles who's still alive today and watching, watching this portrayal of his character as a weak willed, um, you know, sort of weak constitution, young boy at Gordonson. But, um, anyway, hopefully he's recovered from that. 
Um, I don't know. He did, though. <laughs> know. That's I mean, the problem. So I mean, he... it almost like put everything into context. And I was like, oh, that's the way you are. Why you are yeah. the way you are. Yes. Um, yeah. So he only survived, not survived. That's a poor word choice. He only <laughs> uh, was in Gordonson for five years, even though Philip wanted him there the whole time. And um, then you follow the story out further. When Charles was was grown and had kids of his own, he did not send them send them to Gordonstone. Yeah, these are like the last lines that to, show up on the episode. While right, right. Yeah, yeah. He sent them to Eton. So Charles's sons went to Eton. Yeah, I believe Charles has spoken and said that those were the worst years of his life. I wow. mean, he did not like being there. Yes, I believe the words I saw in the quote were that uh, Gordonstone was a prison and hell. <gasps> Wow. So harsh Ooh. words. Yeah. Wow. And I think wasn't his uncle wanting him to go to Eton, if I remember correctly. I right. Think you're exactly. Right. And that's why he kind yeah. of came and consoled him. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Which is, I just felt so mixed about that because on the one hand, it seemed like he needed someone to be actually listening to him. And I just wish that it had been his father. I wish that. Philip had been the one who was in conversation with him. And even if he made him stay there, that at least they were the ones who were having the conversations rather than, you know, Charles and his uncle or great uncle. No, I don't even know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't, it's hard to see any good course of action there. The whole whole boarding school model is a bit rough for young children. Yeah. Okay, Zach, what, what episode would you like to highlight? Well, just real quick before we do that, I I want to use this Potterfamilias episode that Catherine mentioned to just talk a little bit more about Philip in the season because we haven't done that yet. And um, I do have some episodes I want to just mention. But before we do that, I just want us to talk about Philip a little bit because I think Philip is kind of – we've talked about Margaret and what a bright star she is in this episode. We talked about uh, Anthony Armstrong Good uh, and Anthony Armstrong Jones, played by Matthew Good. We've talked about Claire Foy, but um, – Prince Philip's character is so compelling. And throughout the whole series, at least I found myself sort of flip-flopping back and forth on how I feel about him. Season, within season two? Or season two. From one se- in season, season two. To the next? Okay, yeah. I mean, also from one season to the next. Um, but season two in particular, I felt like there was this this constant narrative throughout, uh, irrespective of what the actual episode was about. There was this constant thread in which you were being led to question what Philip's motives were and what he was up to. Completely. Um, and in some in some cases, you would think that he was really, you know, when he when he did his radio address from the ship, for example, you were thinking, right. wow, he's, he's a good guy. He really has the best interests of his wife and his family and Britain at heart. Um, in other instances, though, he would make a comment. You know, he'd schedule this sort of uh, this private closed room one-on-one interview with an attractive uh uh, woman journalist and you would be a little bit more suspect of his motives and and so it is it is constant back and forth in the very final episode um sort of i don't i don't know if i'd say closes the door on that but i think is a little bit more declarative in terms of what was happening through all of that and then it, it causes you to sort of reevaluate philip throughout the entire season in a very interesting way but i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that i just I found Philip to be a very enigmatic character throughout and in some ways perhaps the most compelling in the season. Yeah, I I think I remember talking about some of this stuff when we were discussing season one, you know, and I think what we discussed then is true now, right? And and you just said said all of that. I, I, I think 
I love Philip. I not that I want to be like him. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But I, I, I just find him to be so compelling, and he, to me, he, he is as a man in modern society. I see many desperate men around me with, you know, where they feel trapped in their world, maybe because of decisions they made, maybe because of life happening around them. And I see Philip as a very modern man um, with a, with a complicated sense of masculinity, um, wanting to do the right thing, but not always doing the right thing. And sometimes because he's trapped, he lashes out in certain ways. And it just, I see elements of Philip in my own, like, heart, like in certain elements, right? But I also see, like, actual Philips around in the world, you know? Like, I feel like I, I have my sense of self a little better than Philip yeah. <laughs> in this show. But I, I, see, I see those elements, and I also see it all around me. And I think it's just very fascinating, you know? Yeah, well, I love the imagery that they use throughout the first few episodes of Philip literally on a ship at sea. You know, you, so you have, I, this, you have this very realistic metaphor of Philip who's sort of adrift on the sea trying to figure out his place in this world, right? He's a, uh, he's a man. He's a man in the 20th century. He's a man in the 20th century who's married to perhaps the most powerful woman in the 20th century. And all of those things, I think, combine to give him a, a major identity crisis, almost existential. Right. right. And, you know, like I could see myself exhibiting some of Philip's behavior if I um, wasn't raised the way I was raised, if I wasn't married to the woman I'm married to, if I wasn't in the job that I love. Well, and to be you know, fair, like, you did, you did grow out a beard like his I did, a few I did years ago. So. <laughs> yes, right. It's true. But you know what I mean? Like I, I see that I see, I don't know. He's just very sympathetic to me. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's just cause I see it all around, all around. No, I agree. I definitely had moments in season two where I was frustrated with his behavior, but I also felt like we weren't always getting the full picture you know, we right. weren't fully inside his head or we weren't seeing it from all angles or we're just seeing it from one perspective. And maybe this is a good point where I can drop in with my episode that I wanted to talk about because it actually is a lot about Philip and that's the Mystery Man episode at the end, the last episode. And the whole time I was just confused about what they were trying to say about Philip and his, you know, whether or not he had any involvement with the Perfumo Ward, et cetera, communist scandal in Britain. And at the end, I just felt like I had this epiphany moment <laughs> when um, I, it was near the final scenes when I, I just – I realized that, wow, I think anyways, this has all just been a bunch of smoke and mirrors, like a huge charade on the part of the director to get us to doubt Philip the way that Elizabeth was doubting him the entire the entire episode. The entire episode, we just see Philip mostly from Elizabeth's perspective. And, you know, Margaret's kind of like poking the bear every now and then says, well, we can't see his head. So maybe Philip is this mystery man. And when they're in Scotland, Philip says, I can see this as a question of appearance versus reality. And that just like a light bulb went on in my head. And she said that 
some things only have one meaning, so they can only be perceived in one way. And she brings out this photo from seven years ago of the dancer that Philip possibly had an affair with. And I just realized you are just holding on to this 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 frustration and this anger that I, we don't even know really the source of the the photo. And now seven years later, you're you're perceiving Philip in this one way and kind of reading all of his actions in a particular light. And you know, at that moment, he like practically gets on down on one knee and professes his loyalty to her. And and it just made me realize, wow, I think I was kind of buying into that too and misreading Philip the whole episode. I don't know. Did you guys mm. have that similar experience? Or I don't know. I'm not sure. I just felt like at the end of the episode that I was allowing other people's opinions of Philip to color my perspective, just as Elizabeth was. And and really Philip was, you know, on board and in love with her and and in line with his duty the whole time. Not to say that they had good communication. They had terrible right. communication the whole episode. <laughs> I, so that was both of their faults. I also don't Definitely. think it's to say, I, I didn't necessarily see that scene as conveying to us that Philip was blameless in all of it. Not Yeah, not blameless, I guess. Just not as, I don't know, opposed to her as she felt like he was. Right. Well, I think the, the conversation, so she pulled out that picture, right, and showed him that she had that. And it is a fairly incriminating piece of evidence because it was stowed away in his bag that he was taking on his five-month trip. And he doesn't deny it. And he doesn't deny it. Um, but And she basically says, you know, I understand. because, And, you know, back up to the first, the first episode of the season, so we're kind of coming full circle here, she had asked him, you know, what he, what he needs to be satisfied. Um, and, and she, in this last episode, basically said, I sort of understand if you need to do these things to stay sane i can look the other way and he looks at her and tells her he doesn't want her to look the other way yeah so i think in in a way this is what philip has wanted is to be to be noticed to be incorporated um which is certainly not to excuse any of his past behavior but i think like you were saying sally i think it puts it in a different light right and again i do not want to excuse the poor communication that they both had the whole time there were so many instances where i was just like talk to each other right this is like how i feel watching any rom-com ever yeah like no rom-com would ever have a plot if people just talk to each other. Yeah. Well, and I think that so, so that I, I I love that scene. Just I mean, me I, too. I don't know if I saw that veil like you did. I think that's really awesome. I don't know if I saw that. Now I do see it, Sally. Now that you've brought it up, but I do think that scene, that last scene, is one of the most beautiful scenes. Um, I've seen it in a long time. It was, and there was actually not that much talking. There was so much looking at each other. And those two, I mean, Matt Smith and Claire Foy, it was just incredibly powerful. Yeah, that was, as Sally and I were watching that, that was our comment to each other is like, wow, that scene just left us speechless. They're just and there looking was, at each other. They were almost speechless yeah, in the scene. Yeah, It's crazy. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen a movie or a show in which actors and actresses can say so much saying so little. Mm-hmm. it's really it's it's what they've been able to do with this cast is spectacular i mean the you know we talked about the uh princess margaret anthony armstrong jones photo shoot scene that is remarkable in these ways as well I and mean, there's so many moments exactly like this where you know a, a a picture is worth a thousand words truly the just on this point about the last episode though so we cut from that scene where philip says that to her and they um embrace and they embrace and we uh, then see Elizabeth giving birth, right, to their third child, I think. I think, yeah. And then we see them posing for a photo shoot, the whole royal family, right? After the baptism. After the baptism. And um, 
they're all squabbling. Nobody's listening to the photographer. The poor photographer is trying to get a good shot. And then Philip just inserts himself into all of the <laughs> conversations and basically yells at everyone to be quiet. And they are. And then Claire Foy and Philip just hold hands ever so slightly as the photographer takes the picture. And um, I think the symbolism there is pretty interesting because the monarchy in some ways is in clear disarray, at least at the outset of that scene. Everyone's squabbling. No one's looking in the same direction. No one can be coordinated. But then what happens when Philip and Claire are on the same page as we see them, you know, touch hands, um, everything, you know, order is restored in that scene, essentially. And I think that's, yeah, that's a, really good point. a pretty fitting metaphor for the the show. You know, when there is this discord between Philip and Claire, everything's kind of running amok. If there is good order, then in their relationship, things sort of fall into place. Sometimes I feel like the creators just want to watch Matt Smith act. And maybe sometimes they create tension or they kind of keep bringing up little things here and there just because he is such an interesting actor. And he actually was the bigger actor coming into the show. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, because he was in Doctor Who. Doctor Who. And, you know, there was a whole kind of scandal that came out that, you know, he got paid so much more than Claire Foy, you know, because he was right, the name right. and she wasn't. And so sometimes... You know, the melodrama. Well, it wasn't a scandal. People tried to make it into one, well, but well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like some of the melodrama around him is just because they want to watch him on screen more. Because otherwise, he wouldn't have to be. You know, they sometimes have to put him in places. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, there's definitely a lot of room for liberty to be taken just because there's so much happening behind closed doors that we have no idea what the dynamics are. Right. And so there's opportunity for people to play the scenes in a variety of ways, interpreting it as, you know, in probably multiple plausible ways. I actually heard a podcast where Vanessa Kirby was saying there was this one scene in season one where she and Claire Foy did the scene and then they were like, you know, I don't think it would have gone that way. So then they redid it and it was like completely different. I mean, the mm -hmm. end result was the same, but their attitudes towards each other and um, the the feeling that you were left with at the end was was very different than I guess the way they had originally played it. I saw a uh, a scene, this just reminds me of it, it's not entirely relevant, but I saw a clip of Claire Foy and Matt Smith on the, I think it was uh, the Late Night with Colbert, uh, Late Night Show with Colbert, um, and they were telling him that they had, you know, lots of historical uh, consultants on set to tell them exactly how to act and how to speak and how to hold their uh, tea sets the way the royal family would and, and all, all sorts of little things like that that they that we don't really think of but would be um, you know more accurate if portrayed correctly according to protocol royal protocol it's yeah wow that's so funny so do you want to talk about the Kennedy episode or should we leave that as an honorable mention um, well I'll just I'll I'll give it like a 30 second nod and then we can leave it at an honorable mention unless you guys have thoughts. But I just thought the Kennedy episode was fascinating. I'm a, a huge fan of um, the history of the American presidency. And I think the Kennedy presidency is a fascinating chapter in American history for a number of reasons. Um, the biggest of which is the space race, but um, also this sort of subtext of the Jackie Kennedy, Queen Elizabeth relationship was just really fascinating in this um, in this episode. And it was one that I didn't know anything about. 
Um, I also thought that perhaps the shows took some liberties in their negative portrayals of Jackie and John. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't look that up, but I was surprised to learn that they had those severe marital problems. Well, so that is definitely oh, documented. That's, okay, yeah, that's okay. not. So I, I was referring more to the like the the drug cocktail references and things like that. Mm. But basically, um, I think we are. You know, we it's it's. I think my takeaway from this show or from that episode was we are watching all of this drama unfold around the crown, right? And as Americans, we there's this sort of um, I don't know. There's this tendency for us to gawk maybe or just you know find it so fascinating like all this is so foreign to us you know the crown and all this drama and intrigue around the crown um but then we see our own crown you know i'm putting air quotes around this our own crown goes to britain i think for the kennedys they were almost yeah i mean like uh, a king and queen. yeah probably the closest to it in the modern era um of a of a president and first lady being sort of royalty or treated like royalty here i mean people really fawn over them and so we see our own crown go there and then they're exposed as having the same exact problems that we've been sort of, you know, finding ourselves gawking at looking across the pond. Um, so I, th- I thought that was a very interesting, a very interesting commentary. Um, and I think in many respects, it it sort of opens up a broader conversation about how this these problems are not unique to Britain or unique to a monarchy. They're really unique to the condition of being human and the problems that we see manifesting themselves throughout the crown season one and season two with people trying to navigate the intricacies of political power what you know if that's churchill or people trying to shoulder the burdens of political responsibility like claire foy or people trying to figure out how to you know actuate their self-potential like matt smith's character in prince philip does um with some success and some of that success leading him down a dark path and and others not i mean i think we see a very real struggle in the human spirit for recognition and for belonging and for love played out again and again and again in a very profound and memorable way. And I think that is the true genius of this show. Well, that's a great segue because I did want to talk about what the crown shows us about what it means to be human. And um, I, the one, the, the, there were, as you mentioned, so many things that, that show us the human spirit and what it means to be human. But one thing that I, that really stood out to me was um, that being truly human is it part of that is this natural striving for perfection. And we had an episode a few weeks ago where we talked about that as being natural in the human um, in human beings, but ultimately unattainable because we all strive for perfection and we fail to reach it. And I felt that that was definitely true. I mean, we see that with so many all the characters of the crown who have imperfections and they're battling their own imperfections in an attempt to live well and to do their jobs well and to love their families well. And I think that's actually one reason why I lost interest in Margaret's story after a while. Um, she, she just seemed to kind of give up on living life well. And maybe that's kind of a negative take on, on her portrayal, but I just, I felt so sad for her and I just felt like she settled for what was ultimately a failed marriage with Tony and, um, whereas other characters, I saw them kind of continuing that that struggle and striving still for for a better life. So, what do, what did you guys? What did other people think about? Yeah, what the crown shows us about what it means to be human. I guess for me, it's that everybody is you know wanting to be seen and to be heard and to be known, but it then in 
and specifically in this show, that butts against the crown because the crown is above all of their personalities and their personhood. And yet they're all human. You know, they're no different than we are, but yet they are. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely a huge tension there between people wanting to have their own separate personalities and live their lives in their own particular ways and then having to conform to this external standard. And it makes them relatable because it's going, oh, I've felt like that before or I've tried to have that conversation with, you know, someone close to me and and they aren't getting where I'm coming from. And, you know, they are no different than us. We're all... Yeah, we're all just wanting people to understand us. Well, I I think this is right in line with, Jordan, what you were saying earlier about how you see some of yourself or some men that you know and are surrounded by in Prince Philip as as he's struggling through some of the things he's he's working through. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it's funny throughout modern times who've always been fascinated with fame and and people who are famous right you know the e true hollywood story the mtv behind the music right documentaries about bands and artists and politicians because like like you said we we are striving toward perfection but yet we want to be reminded that these people who seemingly reached some sort of level of success are just like us, really. Yeah, and it flawed. almost gives us yes, it almost gives us hope. Um, and I think that's one of the joys of this show is we're reminded that some of the most powerful, uh, successful people in the world are flawed and have weaknesses and are insecure, um, and. Um, though we probably don't need this show to be reminded of that in, in our political climate, but you know, we are all human. And I think that's kind of like an interesting reminder. Yeah, I completely agree. It takes that, um, kind of that veil off, um, of those, the people that we lift up on pedestals. Right. And I think, I mean, definitely people have talked about that's one of the problems with social media that we can all portray ourselves in a certain way. And I love the crown for, for taking that back. And we don't, you know, we don't hate and despise all of the characters once we find out that they're flawed. We actually love them more because right. there's mm-hmm. beauty in all of those imperfections. There's beauty in the striving and and in the trying to improve and the trying to reach these higher heights and in failing. There's beauty in the failing. So yay yes, for that. Absolutely. Like humanity is beautiful in all of our mess. You yes. Know? Yes. <laughs> all right. So season three, guys, are you going to watch it? I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in season yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season I, three, I, I season do. four, <laughs> yeah. five, six. I don't even care. Keep it I coming. know. There are, I think there's at least six planned, right? I think so. Yeah, that's what I saw. I know that Netflix officially agreed to four, oh, four. at the okay. minimum. But, there, but I'm sure there will How are they going to say too. no? Yeah. Well, yeah. so I feel – I definitely think I'm – I definitely know I'm going to continue watching. But I just think it's going to feel like a different show. I mean, we've just been yeah. lauding these – these actors the whole time and 
it's just going to feel so different with new actors and actresses. I know that they're great. Like the person they chose to play Claire Foy, the Broadchurch star, I forget her name. She's wonderful. And then Helena Bonham Carter, wonderful. But mm-hmm. I'm going to miss the ones that we've known and loved for the past couple of years. Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, yeah. after watching 20 episodes with these, the, the current cast, I just feel like I've almost developed a relationship with them and an identification with them and their struggles. And I think it will be hard to to import all of that to a all brand new strangers. cast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, it might be best to almost think of it as another show. Yeah. You know. But I think the cinematography, the directing, yeah. all yeah, that tone true. will help us settle in. I personally, I feel like I will be surprised if by episode two of season three, I'm not like completely bought in. Yeah, we'll I have just to feel like, check in. I feel like it'll happen. <laughs> like we're just watching them age. Yeah, we're yeah, just watching yeah. them age. That's true. You know? Well, this is a that's that's relevant to the point I was going to make, and this is a super millennial hot take. That's <laughs> you know probably not worth anything. But are you guys concerned at all? Like I am, that you'll have less interest since the characters will be more removed from you in age. Like I feel like I can identify with Claire Foy and Margaret and Philip and uh, Antony more because they're young and if i'm That's watching if i'm watching some some middle-aged people on the screen i don't know if i'll be able to identify I think them that's the in beauty the same way of the starting where they started because we've seen them grow up you know yeah and so it's yeah. not like we're just being thrown in at some documentary that starts in the 60s or the 70s 1960s or 1970s that's fair we've seen them since they were young and we're like oh yeah we know their history we grew up with them and we know that they're the same person that they were before right well it's it's yeah I, okay at first i was tracking with you zach and i was like yep that's right and then no sally you've convinced me i think you're <laughs> right i and also it's like you know when you're talking with your grandma or something and you know you, you when you're younger you just know her as grandma or or you know grandparent any sort of grandparent right but then once you start to get to know them you're like oh my god you you were young just like me and then you hear those stories and it makes them even more engaging and relatable regardless of age and so i think to your point sally that's what's going to happen in the crown season uh season three Good. Well, I'm excited, though. I'm very angry that we have to wait such a long time for it to come out. Yeah, it's not till next year. What is that about? <laughs> Although, I mean, this is this it's is the best wait. cinematic art that's on television so, yeah, these it days. Needs some so, yeah, it time to percolate. We can give them some time to work on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we need them to be on the Marvel no, studio. Oh, right. Not. No, you know completely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, they need origin stories next and <laughs> they need spinoff. Features for each of the characters. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Art takes a while. Yeah. I think good art at least takes good a while. Good art takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm really holding out for is like a whole series about just the corgis. You know. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. That's that's exactly what we need. I I, I can see like a a, a spin off series just on Gordonston, the school. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like Harry Potter. Yeah. But no magic. Exactly. <laughs> just just misery. No magic. Just misery. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I think we're just about out of town, out of time. So unless you have any other thoughts on the crown, we'll wrap it up there. So any any final parting shots? No, just go watch it if you have it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Five, five stars out of five. You I kind of wish that I haven't. 
I hadn't yet started it because how great would it be to start all over again? <laughs> well, we have a year to watch it's true. it all over again. That's true. We'll, we'll probably have to watch it again just to refresh our right. memories before we watch season three. Right. So. Like as soon as we end this call, we'll probably turn it on. I know. <laughs> yes, you, as now. we've talked about some of these theme, these scenes, I want to go back and watch some of them. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It was a pleasure as always to have you on the podcast. It's been, an, been a while. I mean, I think like five months or so since you Too were long. on. So. Really fun to talk with you again. I hope that your uh, your spring is going well. I hope the weather in Nashville is cooperating and you guys have not gone from winter to summer as many people in other parts of the country have. And we won't wait till the crown comes back to have you back again. <laughs> yes, we should definitely do it sooner. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us. Thank you so much, guys. Talk to you later. I'm by your side